0: Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the Skyrim Tower Defense mod, we explore processor choices for competitive overclocking, and revisit the CyberPower PC Boutique Builder. I'm Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. If you've listened to the past couple episodes of the podcast, you'll realize that Darren is our resident gamer person, and I'm somewhat of the hardware nut. At least usually. (laughs) Usually. I tend to get in a rut when it comes to games where I'm playing either all the way through one game and then I throw it away, or I tend to come back and play the game over and over and over again, which happens to be, in this case, Skyrim.
1: Well, that's a good game to at least come back to.
0: Well, yeah, and it has a lot of replay value, and that's one of the things that keeps people coming back. Well, I've gotten to the point in the game where I've completed all the major quests. I'm at, like, level 51 and... If I find any new dungeons, I usually get my ass handed to me, which is kind of sad. Yeah, there's not much more to do with it, so I've started looking at the modding community to see how they've changed the game.
1: Now, historically, the modding community has been really strong for these games. I mean, Oblivion is one of the, I think for me, highlights for gaming conversions, total mods, and add-ons. I mean, there's just an amazing amount of content, so I can't imagine Skyrim Being that much different.
0: It's quite a bit better. Well, you know, it's the same as Oblivion in terms of the modding community. Right. The graphics are a lot better. The physics are a lot better. One of the mods that I got introduced to via, believe it or not, a YouTube video of the top five mods for Skyrim was a tower defense mod. And I, I wanted to bring it up because... Speaking of games, you like to play Dungeon Defenders, which is a tower defense game. I do, and I
1: actually really love tower defense games and different variations, like, uh, well, Dungeon Defenders is my current uh, flavor, but Sanctum, you know, even traditional games. In fact, I'll even kill time on the Java free com site. Oh, wow. So just knowing there's a tower defense game in Skyrim's kind of got me
0: excited. <laughs> well, this is what I would call a mini game. It plays within Skyrim. So you download the mod, you install it, and then you play the game like you normally would. And the author has given you a few hints on where to go to activate this mod. Otherwise, you know, you may not ever find it. Oh,
1: right? okay. So you trigger it like a quest drop, right?
0: Exactly. That It's a lot like a quest. Believe it or not, it kind of starts like a quest now that I think about it. So it starts out, you're outside a white run, and there's a courier that Got killed over by the stables. Okay. And you go over to the courier, and he has a note, and the note was intended for you because the idea was the courier was supposed to find you somewhere within the game, and then give you this note. And the note is from Leo saying, "Hey, I have something for the Dragonborn. Please meet me at my boat or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it says." But
1: so for the one percent of you that haven't picked up this fantastic game, the Dragonborn is the nickname or the legendary story behind the player character which of course would be you
0: that's true so you went to find leo i went to find leo and the author kind of gives you a hint there is a boat dock in dawnstar which is one of the towns in the northern part of skyrim
1: okay sounds easy
0: enough yep yeah. so you go to dawnstar and then you have to find uh, dawnstar is like a harbor town so it wraps around a harbor And there's a a big boat that you can get some quests on on one side of it, but on the other side is like this little dock and a small rowboat. You go out there, in the rowboat is Leo. He's killed, but he has a note. And the note is basically saying, I have this island that's been in my family for generations, but it's been overrun with bandits. Please come and help me. Or something along those lines. So you get in the boat, and you activate the boat, and it takes you to the island, which which activates... The mini game, and at this point you're on an island, and when you first land, you have to defeat the first wave of people. Um, it's like drugers, I believe, and there's like seven of them that you have to kill, and you have to kill them without using any of your weapons. You can still have all your skills, but you get your weapons reset to iron class, ooh, which is like really nasty. Yeah, but that's where you start out. Once you kill the druger, then the quest ends and then a new quest starts where you can create your first tower defense and at that point you are allowed to configure the the people you're going to be fighting the waves and then you can uh you have a certain amount of gold that you can buy people and defense items so you can have barricades you can put different places you can buy archers fighters mages or heroes which is kind of a nice fun thing so it can be like uh like a dragon or Ooh. one of the um the the quest people that can follow you around.
1: So I've got to ask, does it use your in-game money that you've already earned to buy these things?
0: No, it uses its own game money. Oh, okay. So you have a certain amount of cash and then you use that cash to buy these items. To build barricades, you have to have wood and there's a forest nearby and a, an axe and you can actually chop wood and that's how you can get some resources so oh. you can build more barricades, which is kind of fun. Interesting twist. To get more money... On top of that, then you can go out and, uh, you know, once you start these waves, then everybody you kill, you get a certain amount of money for. And then that banks up, and then at the end of the round, you can buy more heroes or buy more barricades and stuff like that. Okay. So there's five—in the, in the first game, there's five rounds, and, you know, at this point, you can choose if you're going to fight Stormcloaks or Imperials or Drugars or Beasts or Dragons, for that matter. You can actually have a wave of dragons coming after you, which would make it a little tough. And the whole idea is, basic tower defense, you're protecting your flag, so you don't want any of the enemies to get to the flag and take the flag. You know, at that point, it's a free-for-all, and you go out there and fight.
1: That sounds cool. So give me an idea of, uh, like, how much time does it take to do, you know, a wave?
0: a wave would take about five minutes Ooh, give or not take bad. it depends on the the difficulty you know i wanted to get through it pretty quick so i picked the easy level mm-hmm. um, i also picked storm cloaks so i could actually tell who i was fighting <laughs> all right because you could have bandits and they would look like your people and stuff and let's face it i had iron class weapons which are pretty weak i could use my magic spells which was a nice bonus and my character doesn't have a high archery skill, right? so I stand up on top of the tower and I was shooting iron arrows down. Well, my skill increased, right. and that stayed persistent. So you could use this as a trainer early oh. on yeah. to build up your character.
1: Well, neat. So what kind of rewards do you get besides experience? Do you get gear or gold or anything for the game?
0: Not so much. You know, after you finish the five first levels, then you get to go into Leo's house, and there's a few items in there that you can loot and some gold. So if you go into the basement, it's somewhat of an Easter egg. So you can go down there. and My character is a female.
1: Right.
0: And I think this Easter egg plays off of what character type you are. Because when I walked in, it's a replica of Dragon's Reach, which is one of the castles in Whiterun. Right. And it's filled with half-naked men dancing to techno music. Okay. <laughs> and the author used a, uh, a mod that another author had created for, for dancing and whatnot. And while I'm always in first-person mode, so I don't get to see my character... But it turns out once you enter, um, you know, I backed out. It turns out that my character was naked as well. So it was big, everybody's uh, dancing naked and stuff. Naked so, party. Well,
1: yeah. I guess you got to give them something, right?
0: Yeah, you have to give some sort of a, of a reward. Once you've completed those waves and you get to the Easter egg and whatnot, then you can create your own tower defense wave. So at that point, you can define how many waves you want to have, how many characters you're going to be fighting. You can beef up your tower and... It's still in beta, so there's not a lot that you can do, and there was a few bugs, but it was really fun.
1: Well, I think I'm looking forward to it. As you know, I play Skyrim on the PlayStation 3, which severely limits that sort of stuff to, well,
0: Just zero. The, <laughs> yeah, well, I get the DLC, which is non-existent so far.
1: Well, at some point it will be, but they're always behind. So I think the more I hear about it, the more I think that I've got to watch for a good price to pick up Skyrim on my PC.
0: If anything, just to download the mods and, you know, see the stuff that other people have been doing.
1: Absolutely. Well, it extends the longevity, too. So I think that's a good recommend. Definitely check it out. Dennis, I was reading through your MOA lessons learned, where you were talking quite a bit about some of the things that you learned, and in particular, some of the hardware choices that you saw out there. As you know, I've been finalizing the decisions for my PC, particularly processor and motherboard decisions. So I thought I would ask you what it was that you saw.
0: Well, with MOA, which is an overclocking competition, it's slightly different than a desktop system in that, you know, it'll be super cool in these chips and you can't really do that on a desktop. So we kind of have to remove that portion of it from the discussion. But when I was making my MOA decisions, which is something I talk about in the article... I went with the Sandy Bridge Extreme, or the LGA 2011 socket. And a lot of the other competitors went with Sandy Bridge Extreme for one benchmark, and then they went with Sandy Bridge, which is the 1155 socket for the 3D Mark 03 and the SuperPi.
1: So I know we've talked a little bit about the differences between those products, but just for a refresher, what are the major differences between the two chipsets?
0: Okay, well, with... Sandy Bridge Extreme in 2011, That's a it's a larger chip. It comes with six cores, hyper-threading, so you get 12 threads just like the old um, Gulf Towns. You get quad-channel memory, so you have four memory chips on there, and PCI Express 3.0, and then an enhanced memory controller and stuff like that.
1: So I know there's some other little things, too. But I would think just from the sounds of it, that those would all be good advantages for an overclocking competition.
0: Well, they are. And that's the main reason that I went with that and with my familiarity of it. But with Sandy Bridge, the LGA 1155, you get a dual channel memory controller, quad core with hyper threading. The big difference is that Sandy Bridge will overclock to a higher frequency than Sandy Bridge Extreme. So If you had a good 2600 or 2500K processor, you might be able to get 5.9 gigahertz out of this thing. Whereas with the Sandy Bridge Extreme, the most you're going to get is probably 5.6. The average is around 5.3. I had a processor that was 5.1. And that's really the the maximum that it will run. It won't go any faster than that, regardless of how how much voltage you put into it, how cold it gets, any of that stuff.
1: So at least in the benchmarks that you were using, the advantages of having the multiple cords and the additional hyper-threading were negated by the overall processor
0: speed? In two of the benchmarks, yes. Well, with 3DMark03, which is on HardwareBot, it's a video card benchmark, but it's very dependent on how fast the processor can feed the video card data. The video card's processing that data and then shipping it out. SuperPi is... Pure processor, so however fast you can get that to run. Now, those two benchmarks are going to benefit from a CPU that's going to have a high clock speed. In my thinking, I was hoping that the extra cores would help me in that regard, you know, with number crunching, and then PCI Express would just, you know, move it across the line a lot faster. Unfortunately, that didn't actually work out that way, and a lot of the people that had first, second, and third in that particular competition were running 2500 Ks at 5.9 gigahertz which is really lightning fast. Oh, yeah. You didn't really need to have the extra cores. You just needed to have that frequency and that processing speed through there. I was able to get some pretty good efficiency out of my LGA 2011. You know, I had 171,000 marks in 3D Mark 03, which is the highest I've ever gotten. Yeah, that's not shabby at all. Yeah, which is enough to get me, what, like fifth or sixth place or something like that. was pretty happy. Now where 2011 came comes in to shine is with 3d mark 11, where those extra cores are going to help out in the physics test, but you don't need to have a high processor speed to feed the video card any data because it's DirectX 11. Mm -hmm. That's all GPU power. So it's really going to look at how fast your GPU is and how fast it will be to process that data. My decision was to keep with the 2011 socket thinking that, I'm going to get a really good 3D Mark 11 score. I was really hoping for that. Right. And then I would just try to place in Super Pi and 3D Mark 03. Unfortunately, that gamble didn't work out well for me. And a lot of the guys that had two systems running, 2011 and the Sandy Bridge, they placed a lot better because they could move up and get those minor points in Super Pi and whatnot.
1: Well, I think when you get to that tight uh, contest, at least at the top end, you know, it really is down to just the nickel and dime.
0: Oh, it is. And I was joking with one of the other competitors before it started saying, well, this is really a a contest of how deep someone's pockets are.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you they know? all are in some extent. I mean, that's what happens when you get to the to the bleeding edge, if you will, of any competition.
0: Oh, of course. Another comment that I made in the article was that, you know, this is an MSI competition and they want to highlight their hardware and that's why they make it a requirement that you use MSI gear to, for this overclocking right. competition. Well, a lot of the high-end gear was really hard to find. And so it really led itself to cater to these early adopters and the enthusiasts of MSI that already had this gear.
1: And that makes sense. At least from an overclocking standpoint, there are strengths and weaknesses to the two different cores, Sandy Bridge and the Sandy Bridge Extreme. Mm -hmm. So what about uh, like a gaming enthusiast like me? I mean, I already have a 2600K, and I've got a 7970 processor on my GPU. Right. So what's what's the advantage?
0: (laughs) Well, in your case, you probably have like the sweet spot, really. I mean, you have a decent processor with a lot of speed you know it's 3.4 gigahertz you can overclock that thing which i believe you have already oh yeah your video card is directx compliant it's one of the fastest ones that you can get so any directx 11 games are just going to fly through there you know the only advantage you would have for going with 2011 is that you're going to have a few more cores for handling background tasks as you're gaming it's something we mentioned in a previous podcast where most games only Use two cores, and the rest of it is just you know to make sure that your hard disk is spinning right and will defrag or something stupid like that. Yeah,
1: I sure hope that that's the next revolution is multi-core gaming. I mean, it has huge advantages, but I understand the development cost is <laughs> is high also.
0: Right. Now, when you were building your system, weren't you looking at trying to get an Ivy Bridge for that?
1: I was, and you know, in fact, I had another buddy of mine that went with the Sandy Bridge Extreme. So to me, it was kind of one of those things where, okay, so he went Sandy Bridge Extreme, but Ivory Bridge is coming out. So I can wait for Ivory Bridge. And I mean, I've got a sweet motherboard already. I have a sniper too. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, there's no reason for me to put the money out because as you know, there's a significant cost in transitioning if you already have a Sandy Bridge system.
0: Oh, right. Well, you have the cost of the Ivy Bridge, right? which is on, you know, that's a $100 price premium over a comparable Sandy Bridge system. You also have the the technology differences and you know it's where we can talk about the tick and talk system with the Intel processors. Exactly. So we have Sandy Bridge being the tick, which is the major revision, you know, a testing of the architecture basically. And then you have the talk, which is the second release of that particular architecture, which is where Ivy Bridge sits. And in this case, the talk is a higher capacity memory controller, and the addition of PCI Express 3.0. And there's some architecture changes within the chip, like 3D transistors and stuff, but none of that really translated into a night and day performance boost.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mention that, because when I was doing the research, right after Ivory Bridge came out, I was stoked. I was really excited about getting one, and the price seemed, you know, pretty reasonable for a release, especially, you know, first week. hmm But everywhere I looked, the performance difference seemed to be, on average, single digit, sometimes really low in some of the applications that I do. And a great example of that is Battlefield 3, which is really the game that pushes my system the most right now. Right. And the difference was really small, especially (laughs) when I start looking at the cost.
0: Yeah, and that's where if you're going to try to get an Ivy Bridge system. You're going to want to have maybe like two generations old. So if you're on like in the Halem line, mm-hmm. um, which is needless to say, that's kind of the enthusiast system of that generation. Right. If you have that and you're looking to upgrade, then yeah, definitely spin the bucks and buy the Ivy Bridge. Look for a good Z77 motherboard. And that's really the, where your best bang for your bucks going to be. Now, if you already have a Sandy Bridge system... The 2600K is the one that I always recommend to everybody, but not everyone can afford one of those. So. Yeah,
1: I think it's a great processor.
0: And then you have uh, the 2500K, which is essentially the same chip, except it doesn't have hyperthreading. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you have one of those and you're just one generation behind, well, one generation behind Ivy Bridge, you don't necessarily need to upgrade.
1: So it sounds like, in general, if you're already running Sandy Bridge, There's no reason to upgrade to Sandy Bridge Extreme or Ivy Bridge really at all right now.
0: Right. Well, it's going to be a big cost premium to go to Sandy Bridge Extreme. One, you're Mm -hmm. going to have to buy a new motherboard, and the processors are five bills plus.
1: Yeah. For Well, not a huge performance jump there either.
0: (laughs) Well, no. I mean, you're going to get extra cores. You're going to get extra memory, insane memory bandwidth, you know, like 50 gigabits a second Mm -hmm. sort of bandwidth. Sandy Bridge is half that. Even if you get like super high, fast memory, it's still going to be half that. And that's where, you know, if you're going to be doing a lot of calculations, computational stuff, if you're working in Photoshop, Illustrator, that's where Sandy Bridge Extreme is really going to shine.
1: Well, it sounds like, well, much like we've decided before, really, this generation, if you're current or even one generation behind, your money's better spent, it sounds like, on a video card.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, look for. 7970 look for you know we've recently reviewed the gigabyte uh, 670 and that's basically a a cut down version of the 680 it has the same performance
1: yeah and it's a stellar price too i mean it really is if you're looking to upgrade because it's not the flagship it probably will drop in price faster
0: you'll also have the lower end editions that nvidia will eventually release right. you know you have the right now it's the 670 but you're probably going to have a 660 and a 650 That's all going to be based on that new Kepler architecture. They're just going to be kind of cut down a little bit. You know, right now, there's no reason for NVIDIA to release them, so we probably won't see them right away.
1: Absolutely. And as you know, my decision was based on the invisible, never-seen 680, which pushed me back into the 7970. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, I really think you can't lose right now with one of the flagship or even second-tier video cards for a gamer.
0: Oh, definitely. And you can go with whatever processor you have, really, because... As we mentioned, the games will, if it's DirectX 11, it's all going to be video card anyway. The last little bit that I'd like to add is that the only person that I see, or the only people that I see having a benefit from Ivy Bridge are extreme overclockers. And the reason why is these things run like 6.6 gigahertz. Put them under nitrogen, they fly. You know, that's, that's insanely fast. And that's actually setting records and resetting everyone's counter on HardwareBot. You know, you get like this crazy refresh, you know, a new technology comes out and it's just going to jumble everybody's scores around. You know, the people that were top of the line, top of the list before, now they're down 30 points. All because this new processor comes out that overclocked like crazy. Some of these overclockers hold on to hardware, kind of like me. And they just pull out everything in the closet, rebench it all, and reset their scores.
1: Okay, so if I'm looking to the future... What comes next after Ivy Bridge? What's the next tick?
0: The next tick would be the Ivy Bridge edition of Sandy Bridge Extreme. So you're going to have the Ivy Bridge 3D transistors and the new enhanced memory controller on the 2011 processor. At least that's what the rumors are saying are going to be the next tick. The next talk, who knows what that's going to be.
1: We've been talking a lot this podcast about Sandy Bridge and Sandy Bridge Extreme, and a little bit about Ivy Bridge, and I know you couldn't use an Ivy Bridge in MOA because of the rules, but you do have an Ivy Bridge machine in the shop, don't you?
0: I do. Oh, wait, yeah, I have that CyberPower PC. CyberPower PC is one of those boutique builders that will assemble you a gaming computer based on your specifications and what they happen to offer.
1: So this is one of those where you kind of just pick your high-end components like a checklist, right? And they build it and test it?
0: Yeah, kind of a a bad analogy would be going to Dell and picking out a, a system to buy. You start with a base system, and then you can modify it, adding more memory or changing the video card or removing memory in some cases. Right. So with CyberPower, you can go and do the same thing. They have a build system where you can start with X system, like a gaming system or a workstation system, and then you can choose to upgrade the video card, add more memory, add more hard drive space. You can even change the case that it comes with because... Really, anything that you can buy, they can get. Right. You know, of course, they're going to get better prices, so it's going to be a a considerably smaller list. But you can get some pretty good stuff. You know, you can get a Corsair gaming case. You can get MSI video cards, ASUS video cards, Mm -hmm. all sorts of different stuff.
1: I mean, traditionally, this is something that I know I've shied away from because I like the the control and, and the ability to pick and choose my components. And I know that generally you're the same way. So what attracted you to this particular unit?
0: It wasn't really the particular unit that attracted me to it. It was more from the enthusiast standpoint that the site likes to follow with these boutique builds. They're getting to be more and more gamer friendly and they're building the systems the way that I would build them. So if I was building a system for you, for instance, which I probably wouldn't do because you would do it yourself. Right. I would go and start with a checklist saying, okay, well, we're going to be doing a gaming system. So we want to have a Sandy bridge processor. And then I pick a motherboard that I like and put in there a video card that actually matches that system. CyberPower does the same thing. They, they do a lot of engineering behind the scenes to make sure that all these components will fit together and that it fits within their pricing structure so that they can sell it and make some money.
1: Well, and you're also getting warranty and tech support and testing, right? So you... You aren't completely shooting in the dark like sometimes I feel like I am.
0: Well, no, because you still get the component warranty, which is what CyberPower goes after. But they also have an overall warranty and a support system. So if you have problems with it, you can give them a call and my system won't turn on anymore. It smelled like smoke last week and now it's dead. Well, maybe that's the power supply. So they'll ship you out a new one. You swap them, send the other one back. They'll go and get their warranty return and you have a working system again.
1: So, that at least is a huge advantage as opposed to building a PC and trying to support it yourself. Or, God help us, we've all had that PC we built for our friend that
0: breaks, right? Oh, yeah. And that's sadly, I somebody comes to me and says, Hey, can you build me a computer? And I'm like, Well, there's a great company called Dell. <laughs> or, you know, I hate to name drop like that. But, you know, nowadays I will probably send them CyberPower just because of what they have to offer.
1: Well, and it seems like Dell and HP and even these major manufacturers have. A little boutique builder that's part of their stable to support this crowd.
0: That's true. There's a lot of pull behind these boutique builds. And it's really for the people that know a little bit about computer technology, but they may not feel confident building their own system or they are trying to get something for their brother that they really don't want to have to support. So it's like, well, just go here, pick this, and ship it out and call it good.
1: Sure. And as an avid gamer, I'm surrounded all the time, especially these larger LAN parties, by. Folks that are technical enough to talk the language, but really not technical enough or maybe just confident enough to build their own computer. And you see these folks really look into the boutique to be something a little better than the beige box, if you'll forgive the expression.
0: (laughs) Yeah, That's true. These boutique builders do a lot to the cases to make sure that they cool properly, which is something that, Even if you buy an off-the-shelf case, it may not come with all the fans that you need to have to cool a high-end Sandy Bridge system, for instance, or have support to video cards, you know, the heat load that's going to be coming off of that. So it's nice to have somebody thinking about that when they're building it. Whereas if we're building it for ourselves, sometimes we'll put the system together and then realize, oh, hey, we need to have another 120 millimeter fan right here to make sure the CPU stays within temp. Right. That's another thing to look forward to. And this particular system, the... Gamer Extreme 2000 Special Edition, which I think they built especially for this particular review because I can't really find it on their site right away. It came with an Ivy Bridge processor, a 7850 video card, an SSD, and a storage drive, which is nice, Asus Z77 motherboard, and some Corsair memory in a Corsair case. And also, on top of that, a Corsair water cooler.
1: So it sounds like really a check-all-the-boxes sort of thing. I mean, at least you're getting current generation across the board and really a kind of a nice aftermarket cooling solution.
0: Oh, and on top of that, they they gave us a factory overclock, which is actually an option that they offer, but it's an extra fee.
1: Somebody's got to tune it, right?
0: Somebody's got to tune it and somebody has to support it. Mm -hmm. I went and looked in the the BIOS profiles and there was two levels of overclock that were coded in there, which I think they did just so that I could mess around with the different ones. But, you know, at 4.4 gigahertz, I just ran with it.
1: Nice. That's not too bad. So looking at the advantages of buying a boutique PC over building a PC, it really seems to boil down to an experience and confidence level. And in the past, I would think that it would be more price driven. So the other disadvantage that I've seen in the past that you haven't mentioned is expandability or upgradability. One of the big issues that I've had with off the shelf machines in the past is, You're kind of stuck with the hardware you have. You can't upgrade. You can't change things as they come out. How does the cyber power handle that?
0: The cyber power handles that by using retail level hardware. You know, using the analogy of HP and and Dell, the way that they can afford to build their systems as cheap as they do is because they have a design team that designs the boards that go inside these. They're actually coded for Dell and they have a Dell BIOS on it. If they have trouble, you can call them up. They know exactly what your system is, and they can go directly to the support papers and figure out how to solve the problem. It's a support issue for them. With CyberPower, they picked an off-the-shelf Asus motherboard. It was a a VLK. It was one of the the low-end edition boards, but it has all the expansion slots on it. It has extra memory slots on it. It's just like if I was to go down and buy a, a motherboard upgrade or grab one out of the closet, throw it in a system, I could throw in three video cards if I wanted
1: So not really a disadvantage at all, at least at this level.
0: No, it's not. And for these people that know a little bit about computers, crack open the case, which you're going to have to do when you get it because they pack it with uh, foam so that all the stuff stays in place. Yeah, I saw that clever. Yeah. So you pull the case off, you pull that foam out, put the cover back on. You've already opened it up. You can add another video card. You just throw another, in this case, a 7850 in there, crossfire them together, and instant double in performance. Well,
1: I like that. Not only can you add an additional video card but you know bigger faster drive bigger faster video card bigger faster ram you know as the budget allows so you're not stuck so there are a lot of positives more than i expected but are there any negatives to the pc that you want to mention
0: with the this particular build i noted in the review that i didn't like the case
1: oh yeah that's right
0: you know and it was a, a corsair 300 series chassis it used some really thin metal. You know, it was one of their really inexpensive cases.
1: So Corsair's a big name, but I can't say that I really even think of them as a case manufacturer.
0: I don't really. You know, they have some great designs out there. Some of them are kind of ugly. Some of them are really cheap. Some mm-hmm. of them are on the mark. They're still trying to find their their gaming-centric market and trying to distance themselves from, you know, the, the cooler masters and thermal takes of the world. In this particular case... You know, chassis itself, it's a—it's kind of cheaply built. It's a basic chassis. It's inexpensive, which fits the CyberPower model in trying to give you the best value for your money.
1: Without, you know, hurting
0: performance, at least. Yeah, without hurting that. The case did rattle a little bit just because it's thin metal, but, you know, with a system running, unless you have the fans turned up really loud, you're not going to notice that. The other thing that I noted in the review that I didn't like too much was that they picked 1600 megahertz memory for this. As you know, with Ivy Bridge, it comes with a faster memory controller, right? and that by using that low speed memory, you know, it's a CL9, 1600 megahertz, is pretty slow. You're really hampering the overall performance that you can get from that chip.
1: Do they offer, I mean, they must offer better memory options.
0: I believe they do. I didn't look into it too much because I was really just focused on this particular build, knowing full well that when you go out there to build one for yourself you can pick whatever component parts you want Mm -hmm. if they have a better memory option definitely pick it because that's what you're going to want to have to get the best performance out of these
1: well and the good news is that at least as far as component price memory really is right now the cheapest component for upgrading down the road
0: oh definitely you know you buy one of these systems six months down the road hey i want some more performance crack open the side swap out the memory instant performance boost
1: well, a lot to like, it sounds like. And I, I have to admit, I'm a little surprised. So I think next time I'm in the PC market for myself or a buddy, uh, we'll definitely give them a look.
0: For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have any questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. To stay up to date on the latest at Ninjalane, Please subscribe to our RSS, now available on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, or join us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2012. Thanks for listening.